Hello, and welcome to the Great Birth Rebellion podcast, where we grapple with current research to help you get the best out of your pregnancy, birth, and postpartum journey while still challenging the dominant birth culture. I'm your host, Dr. Melanie Jackson at Melanie the Midwife, and I'm joined weekly by my co-host, B from Core and Flora Store, and this is the Great Birth Rebellion. Welcome to the next episode of the Great Birth Rebellion. We're here again, myself and B. And today, oh my gosh, the number of messages I've received about can you do this topic on the podcast? I'm surprised because really? I haven't had any about oh, this. At least, I mean, seven. it doesn't sound like many, probably at least seven, but proportionately to the number of requests I get for topics, this is a big one. So today we're talking about consuming your placenta and other uses for your placenta. So that's all we're talking about because people apparently want to know. And and I have a little bit of a bugbear, but it's it's become big business. So it has, well, because the Kardashians did it, darling. I know. You know that, right? I know the Kardashians did it. And yeah. we need to know, do we, we need the Kardashians to have a home birth? Yeah. And put it on their reality show. That's what we need. I'll contact Kimmy. Thank you, please, yeah, because she, I think she changed her number. She's not answering my calls anymore. But I think if we want to keep up with the Kardashians, we first need to know if what the Kardashians are doing is evidence-based. Oh, mate, what the Kardashians are doing is not evidence-based <laughs> and we don't want to keep up with them. <laughs> Right, so here we are. That's cutting. We're going straight into the placenta. If you want to know how to give birth to your placenta, that is not this episode. That was in an earlier episode. Episode so twenty-four. You, episode oh, twenty-four. You are so good. You are so <laughs> good. <laughs> episode twenty-four. Go back to that and listen to it. Oh, that means oh, we didn't celebrate our half-year anniversary, our six-month anniversary. When was it? Well, it would have been at twenty-six weeks. You can tell I'm a maths person, can't So 26 weeks would have been our six-month anniversary of podcasts. I'm but so anyway, excited. if you want to know how to give birth to your, or if you want some information on how to give birth to your placenta, go back to episode 24 mm. and listen to that. This is just about it's come out. Now what do we do with it? And as I said in that episode, I love placentas. Also, it's really important for some cultures to take their placenta back to land. So I know a lot of Maori people will take it back to New Zealand. I do think you have to have a specific letter if you're flying with it as well. I have encountered that in my career. It may not still be the case, but if you are planning to go in overseas and take your placenta across the border, there can be some formalities the form filler is we'll want you to fill in some forms probably. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Correct. So exactly what B said, if you want to work out how to get your placenta out safely, episode 24, but here we're at the point where your placenta's out and you're making a decision as to what to do with it now. So b- brief history lesson on the placenta. <laughs> what is it? What's your placenta? Basically, if you're growing a baby, your baby's growing a placenta. So it's the baby's genetic material, not yours. So if you've got a baby inside you, you also have a placenta inside you. It's attached to your uterus for the whole pregnancy. And then you give birth to it. So hashtag episode 24 to work out the details of that. And your baby is attached to it by its cord. 
there'll be a point at some point after your birth where you cut the cord and the placenta is its own entity. It's no longer connected to anything. And so if you're in hospital, depending on your care provider, they will check it, bundle it up, and there's a human waste bin that they will put the placentas in. And I guess they just get magically taken away by the placenta fairies and disposed of. So I don't know. I know. Like like when my dog went to doggy heaven, the doggy farm. It didn't go to the doggy farm. It goes in a bin, Mel. It goes in a bin. There's no placenta fairies. It goes into a bin and they check it out. And if you put your placenta under your pillow, the placenta fairy will come and give you $5. I'm not sure what. That placenta fairy should come and give you six months of nurturing and love. That's If there was a placenta fairy, that's what it would do. It would come and cook and clean and massage you. We need more placenta fairies. (laughs) Talking the other day that we need doulas for menopause. Now we need placenta fairies. Placenta fairies. Yeah. No, but I think we need to rewind before it, because you said that it gets cut at some stage. That, that information is not entirely correct because you can choose to have a lotus birth. Were you planning on talking about that? Oh, yeah, I am going to talk about that. True. Okay. Yeah, right. So yeah. because so, there, you don't actually have to cut the cord and make the placenta separate. Some people will choose to have a lotus birth, which is the belief that the baby will release the cord when it chooses to and it will separate from its placenta when it wants to. Correct. So, yeah, if we go back to the non-cutting version of having your placenta detached from your baby. And you can do this with a cesarean. I've actually cared for many women who have had a lotus birth with a cesarean. Correct. Your baby's born and then your placenta's born and you skip the part where you detach the baby from the placenta. And then there are that you have to prepare the placenta in a particular way. So you salt it quite heavily and you wrap it. And people often have a placenta bag that, that can be used to carry the placenta around with the baby. And then over the coming days, so it detaches similar timing to if you had cut it, so somewhere between the first and 10th day of the baby's life, the placenta will come away. And, yes, people who are proponents of lotus birth, some suggest that there's kind of some kind of energetic finishing that has to happen for the baby and then the baby decides to let go of its placenta, but that in some way it's the baby's first decision about what it's going to do with its life, letting go of its placenta. but And you can put other things in it like lavender and different herbs to make it smell nice. I often say if you um, don't want your in-laws to come around, it's a really great way to keep people, to keep visitors away, not just in-laws. <laughs> and so people can have big feelings around it and it may deter them from coming around to visit you. So hmm. Yeah, so if you hand them the baby and say, oh, by the way, here's the baby's placenta also. Yeah. They uh, might be more willing for you to hold the baby and for them to do some vacuuming. I think it's a great postpartum tool, really. Yeah, to yeah I've got a placenta attached. But, yes, it is sort of if you consider it a meat product in a way, it does degrade and rot like flesh, old flesh would. So, yeah, that's the reason for salting it is it kind of seems to preserve it, kill the smell. You can add you can add the herbs and scents and things to help mask the smell and then you can replace those kind of wrappings semi-regularly. The cord actually becomes very dry quite quickly. So it's quite crispy and it doesn't bend and move the whole time. Like it 
people take it takes people by surprise I think when they're doing lotus birth that actually mm-hmm. it's not very malleable like the cord kind of goes quite crispy and then and it can tug and pull a little bit on the baby's belly button because of whenever you move it so I've yeah in my, the obviously the number of clients who of my clients who've done it are a lot more than in the mainstream system because they're already making the alternative choices of giving birth at home. So I've seen it a number of times. I'd say half the time parents just get sick of having the placenta there and they actually cut it off. And then there's probably 20% who accidentally drop the placenta and the and it comes away from the baby's belly button and they're very upset about it because that wasn't the idea of a lotus birth. Yeah, there's a few that will take it all the way to the end, but I see them come off accidentally or by choice a lot more often than I see them detach in their own. We have evidence around because obviously we weren't born 60,000 years ago with plastic clamps. So the cord does clamp itself down, Uh right? So there's the jelly around to naturally clamp and cut that circulation off, right? So the body does that very quickly after birth. Do we have evidence on what they used to do with it? I haven't looked at but I mean, burning it could be a thing, you know, that how the cord burning or, I mean, we've had blades and cutting implements for a long, long time throughout. Some cultures have, not all. Well, but even. That's why like, like, so even in like with birth kits, a tie and a blade is always given for low-income countries because if they've used stones or bamboo or something, the risk of tetanus is really high. Right. So for safe birth, cutting the cutting the cord, the tie, a sterile tie and a blade is often given in a birth kit. Mm. You know, you can get like birth kits for five dollars and send them to low income countries. That's always included for that reason. And I always have trouble mentally getting my head around those kits. This is a total side note, but <laughs> but I'd like you to get distracted. That's normally my oh, role. No, it's a real bugbear of mine, and I actually haven't. I don't think I've actually said this out loud because it's probably so such an unpop, unpopular opinion. Oh, here we go! Just making the podcast even more controversial. Let's do it. I don't know if I should say it. I'm going to get. Oh, say it. Just say it, and then if you need to edit it, you can. I just say it because I want to hear it now. Well, don't cancel me. But here's here's my thinking. You know, I've seen over the years people really taking pride in raising money for and packing and sending these little birth kits over to developing countries so that they can have hygienic birth options. So the blades and the clamps and the ties and, you know, gloves and all these things. Do you know, we know what happens with things that get sent to places that are under-resourced is that they don't use them like we do here in the West where we know there's an endless supply and we use them once and we throw them out. In under-resourced places, they get resources and they cling to them and they reuse them over and over and they don't necessarily have great access to sterilising things. So even needles and syringes and all these things, we expect that they're going to use them the same way as we do here in a high-resource country. They don't. You have issues there where they have these tools that are designed for a place that can can throw them out and, and there's always a new supply. So I have a massive bugbear with sending supplies like blades and needles and medication and things to under-resourced countries because I can almost guarantee that that blade is going to be used multiple times on multiple babies 
and we're not reducing the infection risks. We're actually just giving them a new tool. And and I feel it depends, I know it depends where they are because and like because I have worked in low income countries, so it does depend. The more rural and remote you go, the less resources there are. I mean, when I was in the Solomon Islands, we didn't have disposable gloves for six months because. No one sent them. Like we didn't get them from Australia. Mm-hmm. There's incredible books and stuff that is written around stuff. And obviously I had a year there and there is a lot. I mean, I could, I could do six podcasts on aid yes. and, and what it is like. And, I, yeah, I learn a lot about what our opinions are. And yeah. yeah, it's big. It's a very, very, very big, big topic. And, yeah. I mean, so I think- there's, yeah, there's a lot. There yeah. is a lot. We're not going to go anyway. into it. That's my little segue on on umbilical blades. So I really, for what I'm trying to say is I think we're better off tapping into traditional knowledge, like what have you done, what works, giving education about um, microbiology and infection and how to prevent that, you know, with sterilization techniques rather than going, hey, here's all the blades to cut the cords because, you know, and then you want to know that they've got ideal places to dispose all these mm-hmm. things, you know. Anyway, just beside the point, but also kind of the point, but also please don't cancel me. I'm just giving you something to think about next time you send aid to overseas. Like, do that. How's it? What's it going to do when it gets there? Okay, totally off topic. But yes, that was Lotus Birth. So we don't know. Is We got really sidetracked because what, what, was what I was talking about, because I was trying to figure out, like, what did we do before? Yeah. Clamps yeah. and cords, and you were like, we've always had cutting tools and stuff. I think, yeah, it'd be really cool if anyone knows. I'm sure they'll email us in and let us know. Is it just I'd be quite hazardous to have? Like, I mean, if I'm thinking practically, if you don't have a buttload of salt, preserving a placenta that's attached to a baby could be potentially hazardous in terms of the smell and contamination and predators and I don't know. Oh, yeah. Inter- well, most animals eat their placenta and that's because of predators, right? Well, oh, we're going to talk all about that. Oh, my oh, God. Let's talk. Yes. Okay. Oh, right. So you have an option to not clamp and cut the cord. You have right. an option to go down the path and choose a lotus birth, and that can be supported regardless of where or how you birth your baby. If you birth your baby in a hospital system, some care providers will be totally across it. Others may not have ever heard of it. it, it typically is done obviously in cesarean it's quite easy to do because you're just scooping bub up but in a vaginal birth it is a little bit more tricky depending on how you choose to birth your placenta so that is one way so if they haven't chosen that option and they've clamped and cut the cord Mm. then what can happen okay so either the hospital is going to get rid of it and some women are absolutely 100% happy for that some don't want to see the placenta some see it yeah, yeah. I have it. no. I just want to. I want to say here. Ask for a placental tour. If you're a care provider listening to this and you don't offer them, which I can't imagine, as I always say, people who listen to this are already converted. But teach your colleagues, or inform your colleagues, or show them, or just do it next to them so they get the idea that they can do it. Offering people placenta tours it should be really a part of our routine practice because it is their baby's organ, and a lot of people. You, you may just assume that they may not want that and you'll be really surprised by how many people actually really want to know. So ask before it gets taken away, if you want yours to be taken away and thrown in the bin, then without the placental fairies, because there are none, you can ask for a placental tour. If you want to see it. If you want one. Yeah. yeah. And if and you if, don't, well, good. Take They'll take it away. 
Yeah. And that's the that's the usual practice at hospital is that they'll take it, they'll take it away and they'll put it in the big in the bin for the fairies. So no uh, fairies. <laughs> so some women totally happy with that, completely fine. You've got no issue. You are going with the flow if you want that. So you can take it home. Most hospitals will have a bucket. And they'll put a label on it that says placenta and they'll put your name on it and they'll give you a form so that if you're traveling home and somebody stops you and asks you what's in that bucket, you can tell them it's okay, it's my placenta. So that's how you can take it home. And if you do take it home, so some women are already at home and have had a home birth, um, then, yeah, so basically now you've gotten your placenta home. What do you do with it now? So The most thing I see done with placentas is you attach good intentions to them and you put them in the freezer and then they move house with you three times. And the more children you have, the higher your stack of frozen placentas becomes. Are you talking about me in my house? Look, I'm only saying this because I've been around for a while and I know what happens to placentas. I'm glad to know I'm not alone. That's why I say normally. I thought it was just me that put my placenta in a random person. It wasn't a random person. There are women all over the country with frozen placentas in their freezer. And one day, and all these good intentions of doing things. So I want to start with what can you do with a frozen placenta? Oh, what I did. Can I say what I did? Yeah. I, we buried both of ours in the, so I actually buried my first one when we moved, when we found a block of land that we really loved, we buried it and we planted a plant that was specific to autumn because he was, it was a deciduous um, tree because he was born in autumn and it died. Oh, in our whole garden for those that have followed me for a long time and follow me on Instagram you would have known that we had two acres in Victoria and my husband made this incredible food forest and the only tree that didn't survive was this Japanese maple that I planted with Banjo's placenta but then when we had our second child we put his placenta in the same spot and planted a new tree and that house is currently for sale and it has not sold yet, which is just not great. And the real estate agent didn't want to put that my two placentas were on in that yard on the little commentary that sells a house. I mean, mate, do you do like that? Surely that increases value, but apparently it doesn't. Apparently people don't need to know that. But I'm pretty devo that those placentas are there. I wish they were still in a freezer and I was still carrying them around. But um, that land is very important to me. Don't dig up. Honestly, go. Yeah. Yeah. As deep as you need. I mean, we did this when we moved house because we did get pregnant for a third time and that baby didn't stay very long. And we buried that baby under this really special tree at our house. And when we moved house, I remember it so vividly that the cleaners were coming down to clean the house because I couldn't bear to clean it because it it was such a special place. And I was sitting there crying with this shovel and shoveling dirt from under this tree into this huge glass jar. And she's like, are you okay? And I was like, yes. And I was crying. And I just said to her, this is, she said, this is a very special house, isn't it? And I said, yes. And I said, you don't have to stay. I'm going to be crying for a while. And she said, no, that's okay. And she sat on the step with me and just let me cry with her. And I was like, this woman gets it, man. This is a woman showing up women. But why I'm saying that is, is if you go with big, huge bucket and actually, and now. Mate, I've got to drive 18 hours to get there. My plants, some of my plants are still there. It's too far away. Anyway, Anyway. we, I, yeah. 
Anyway, you can bury it is something that you can do. Um, they, I've heard they like roses more than anything because the high nitrogen, but I could just be making that up. That I don't know how scientific that is. Mine didn't like a Japanese maple, but you can bury it. The other thing you can do if you want to bury it is you can have a plant that's in a pot and put the placenta in a pot. So then if you do move house or you are renting, you can take it with you and you can have a crafternoon and uh, decorate the pot and get your child to, if there is a child or they might do it, that child might do it later on in life is they get to decorate their placenta pot. Mm-hmm. So you can do that. And then that way it, moves the other thing I did can I talk about the other thing I did yeah can I just make some suggestions about burying yes on to another yeah so burying yes burying is one option and probably half of my clients end up burying their placenta if they've got a garden can I suggest burying it at least a foot deep because Mm. if you've got a dog or if there's any rodents or predators around they will dig it up and find your placenta so dig it deep and because it's so high in nourishment it can actually kill plants so digging it way deep will help sort of stop the plants from being overnourished and it's similar if you're doing it in a pot don't just get like a little kind of 30 centimeter pot you want a big huge deep pot that you could put the placenta quite low to the bottom of the pot that you'll never actually be able to move to another house exactly this is my issue with placenta in pots is that it has to be a big one and if you've got a big pot you've got to put a big plant like a citrus or something in it and uh, you can move it just maybe not interstate it'll have to go on a truck of some kind yeah so, yes. you need there needs to be like someone told me like a foot deeper than the roots yes yeah I would do a foot deeper than the roots so if you think yeah. about digging a two foot hole is kind of where you're going with placenta burials yeah yeah and then so the other thing we did was make placenta prints and I really love this and this is something I do have. So you get the placenta on a really nice piece of um, thick, it has to be really thick, beautiful paper. Like I went to an art shop and got this paper. And then when you put the placenta down and then you can arrange the cord, I kind of arranged ours in like both of the boys have their cord in a spiral. And so the blood dries and into this really beautiful brown and it actually looks like a tree. Like it looks like a picture of an incredible tree. And so I have both of those that I still haven't framed, uh, but it's on the to-do list one day. Uh, and you look at them, you're like, wow, that's a really cool picture. And no one like has any idea. Obviously, you only tell your closest friends, oh, yeah, that's uh, blood. But it's that looks really cool. And then people can, you can do really cool things with the umbilical cord art like umbilical cord art because it dries and so some people like we wrote the word love and then had a photo with the placenta like the placenta and the word love in the cord you can dehydrate you can if you have the cord you can dehydrate the cord into the shape that you want it to be and it stays yeah yeah it keeps shape but yeah you can do placenta prints and if you google placenta prints or placenta art you'll see a lot of those examples. And I have seen people kind of really pad the placenta really dry and get rid of as much blood as possible. And you can use paint. Yeah. You repaint the placenta and and make prints with that, like a stamp. Yeah, yeah. It looks like a stamp. Yeah, we did both of ours. And I do. I actually do really love them. I think that's really cool. But I love placentas. Like I love them. Well, and all these things are ways, you know, some women feel like, they want to honor the placenta or they're really connected to the placenta and they feel like they need to do something before, you know, moving it on to its next location. And uh, so, yeah, this is 
these are for people who sort of feel like they want to do this. Some people are like, I have no idea what these crazy women are talking about. This is I not- liked the podcast until this episode. And I know. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. So there's this lots of options always. This podcast is about options and just giving you information that you may not have actually thought about before. Because some I have actually cared for a lot of people who would have been the throw it in the bin type of people. And then once you talk about it, they're like, actually, that sounds that sounds quite nice. I'd like to do yeah. something like that. Yeah. So we talked about burying really good. And actually, if any of my clients want to throw their placenta out, I say to them, is it okay if I actually take this home and bury it at my house? Because I've got a big farm and I've got lots of fruit trees and lots of gardens and I bring placentas home if women want to throw them out. And I plant them at my house just to build fertility on the land. Yeah, we used to take, when we did home births, we used to take them back to the hospital if people didn't want them. But what do you do with a home birth if you don't? They just go in the bin? Well, so either I take them home and bury them at my house. Yeah. Or the other option, this is another thing that that I do, is in my area, there's an organisation that trains forensic dogs. And they contacted us and asked the situation about placentas. And any woman who doesn't want to keep their placenta, I put in a call to there's a there's a placenta pickup person at the forensic. I don't think I can listen to the rest of this. Well, well, they need, <laughs> sorry, B, they need to train these dogs to find human humans or human tissue. Are you okay, B? Oh, <laughs> some things in the world that I'm better off not knowing, but I'm okay. here now, so I can do this. All right. So, so I will put in a call to them and they donate their placenta to these forensic dogs for training. So they teach them how to sniff at these things out. So they will take them and they might decay them, they might bury them, they do all kinds of things to help train these dogs. So they contacted us with this idea. So if ever I have a placenta that a woman doesn't want to do anything with it herself but would like to donate it, there's a person that comes and picks them up to help train. I love that someone went how can we how can we do this? What can we use? Let's call a home birth midwife. I love that. That's really cool. Yeah. We get them donated and I teach courses. Um, so I teach maternity emergency courses and midwifery upskilling courses and we use them anytime we're in. So I'm doing one in Cairns in a couple of weeks and we'll ring up the Cairns Hospital and say if there's anyone that's willing to donate the placenta, we use it for that. So you can actually donate for that. That's really cool. Yeah. And the other thing, you know, you're asking what happens if the woman doesn't want to keep it, can you just throw it in the bin? Well, yes, theoretically you can. And some people are like, oh, my gosh, but it's got blood all over it. Well, guess where we put our menstrual blood, everybody? Mm. You know, if you're not using a menstrual cup and it's going down the toilet or if you're using pads, then women just Or a Band-Aid or a bandage. Like we throw things out. We put blood in the bin all the time. So people are like, oh, my gosh, that's an infection risk. Yeah, well, guess what? We bleed out of our vaginas once a month and that blood just goes all over the place. We normally put it in an ice cream bucket at home and then just it goes in the person's bin if they don't want it. Yeah, or, you know, if you put a few plastic bags into themselves and really just tie it up, pop it in the bin, that's okay. You don't have to dispose it anywhere special. But burying it's a good option. Donating it's a good option. Freezing it if you can't decide. We talked about lotus birth. 
So my next thing to tell you about, and this was kind of why everyone's here and they're (laughs) like, why did you take so long to get to it? I know. Sorry. We've already been cancelled three times. So people stop listening. Like I can't listen any further. I don't care about consuming my placenta anymore. I can't listen to these women. Anyway, anyway. That's not how they're going to be. They're like, come on, tell us more. Tell us more. That forensic thing was interesting. I think a lot of people will be interested about that. But, yes, tell us about the consumption. Okay, consumption. Placentophagy, placentophagy, however you want to say it. Placentophagia, phagia, is the consumption of your placenta. But actually, it's the consumption of your baby's placenta. So people are like, well, it's it's a body organ. Yeah, it is, but it's not your body organ. It's the baby's body organ. So, you know, some people are like, ah, that's cannibalism. I'm like, yeah, pretty much is. It's somebody else's organ. Not saying that I don't support it. There you go. I just got cancelled for the fifth time this episode. Hold, hold a better energy, Mel. I'm, I'm not cancelled. People no. are loving it. They're in their cars listening to us going, oh, my goodness, you women are off your chops this session. <laughs> I love how uncomfortable this is going to make most people feel. So, yeah, basically you can, women do and are eating their placentas and I'm going to tell you how you can prepare it a little bit like the date episode. I don't have recipes. If you tell me that you put blue cheese with a placenta, <laughs> I'm going to cancel you. Oh, I didn't. I have not yet put blue cheese with a placenta. I promise. That's not. Um. Anyway, but moving on. Uh, so you can eat. If women ask me often, what's the research around this? Do we know anything? Because people have over the years. Oh, wait, let me go back. Let me go back to history. Let me go back to the first man. All right. It's considered a new phenomena for humans to eat their placentas. This is not considered historically something that we would have done. Humans don't have an instinctive desire to eat their placenta. And so this is really isolated to uh, non-human mammals except for aquatic mammals that just let their placenta float away and disappear. They're more interested in getting their baby up for air than eating their placenta. But most non-human mammals, aside from camels apparently, will consume their placenta. And And so instinctively, it's an instinctive thing that they do as a protective mechanism so that other animals aren't aware that they've had a baby and they're going to come steal their babies. That's one reason. They've had a look as, at animals in captivity versus in the wild as well and actually found that the behaviour is the same. And so there's this intuitive need to eat the placenta and there's some theories as to why, and I'll tell you all about that as well. One of them... Yeah, but okay. No. Yeah. So even like I have goats, right, and they've had kids on our property and goats are are never carnivorous. They never, ever eat meat or body tissue of any kind. But my goat ate her placenta. I was sitting right next to her. She had her babies. She had her placenta and she just turned around and ate it. She didn't even think about it. So even animals who are vegetarian, I'm not, I'm never, no, not carnivores, herbivores, herbivores, will eat their placenta if they're mammals. So it's, yes, among the animal kingdom, but it's never been part of the human experience until recently, about the 60s. Although it was it was written about 
in the night. So I've found this article and actually I just posted on Instagram this morning, 1902, there was an article in the British Medical Journal about placental consumption and I've got the copy. I've got a copy of it. I know. It's orgasmic for you, isn't it? Oh, my gosh. Research from 1902 in the British Medical Journal. I was like, wow, what the heck? So I have to rewind to the animals for a second, though. Tell me, go. Because you said there were multiple reasons they they eat it. I want to know what they are, right? So their body is telling them they need to, and they're being guided by that, and they're just following their instincts. Yeah. Well, look. Why else? In all the research papers, and there were a lot of research papers that I read for this, and they'll all be again. On animals? On eating your placenta. And they always have like animals versus humans because this is such a big part of the argument is that animals are doing it. Maybe we should do it too. So a lot of articles address this and they give reasons for why an animal would eat theirs that are less specific to the human experience. And I have to admit, because I'm not deeply going into the science of animal placental consumption, I glazed over it. I read it, but I haven't prepared actual notes on that. But one thing I did find interesting that they kept saying and bringing up is that when they studied rats who ate their placentas, they found a significant difference in their pain perception. So rats that ate their placentas or that were allowed to eat their placentas had higher pain tolerance than rats that couldn't. Don't ask me how they did this research because it was most definitely barbaric. But they found that the animals perceived pain significantly less. And I wonder, and no one has asked this question in all the papers that I read, I wonder if women ate their placentas, would that be a suitable management strategy for severe afterbirth pains or you know, things like that. But anyway, that's beside the point. Um, the forensic part was bad enough. I, I'm i not coping with the fact that new mama rats are being, oh, really know, sorry, we learned so much from it, but oof, that's just. Science can place. be an absolute bitch. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. So, okay. yeah, but this argument that says, well, you know, the animals do this and we're animals, so we should do this. Well, yes, animals do it, but we're not animals. So maybe we, we are should... animals. No, we're mam I mean we're mammals, but we're not. Like we're humans. We are a mammal. I know, but there's a difference between being a mammal and an animal. Well, look, this is beside I feel like we're gonna go down another rabbit hole yeah. here. Right. But anyway, we're still we're we're a mammal that does something different to other mammals. Okay. Well, so some people. There's a lot of things different. Why do the camels not eat theirs? I don't know. Again, I did not go into the animal. So interested in that. Well, please go to the resource folder, B. You can read all the papers yourself because they. I'll just email you and ask you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm not telling you anything else about animals just now. All I'm saying, my point was, is that it's not always been part of the human experience to eat our placenta. It's a new phenomenon. So. It's uh, 1902. 1902 was the the furthest away I could find any information that anyone's written about it. But it really, in the 1960s and 1970s in the hippie era, is where the reports of people eating their placentas really increased. Like, trust the hippies to start eating placentas, right? 
And so that's when really a lot of the research people are looking at me. I'm a hippie. I'm laughing because so many people would call you a hippie. And you. I know. I and know. me. And you, you know. Hippies are the real scientists. Thank you very much. I think the hippies are right. But anyway, so, yeah, so it really turned, it really came up in the hippie movement, the back to nature movement, and later it's morphed into this kind of, you know, the home. Kardashian movement. Right, and the Kardashians. So uh, so what do people say? Why are they eating their placentas? Or do you want me to first talk about how you how people prepare their placentas to eat them? There's a lot no, I, let's do the research first. Do the research first. So what do women say? There's only been a very few number of studies and they're not very big and they're not very good quality. So that's the first thing I need to say. But anecdotal reports, when they ask women, why did you eat your placenta and what did you feel? The main thing that women reported was an improvement in their mood Reduced feelings of postnatal depression, increased perception of energy, and an improvement in their milk supply. Obviously, it's very hard to see like how their milk supply would have been if they hadn't have had, and what their energy would have been like, and what their mood would have been like. But this is what women report, and women so they've reported this, and have they compared it to people who haven't eaten their placenta or these are just people that are saying and have these people had previous birth where they haven't eaten their placenta and now they have so that they can compare with themselves yeah this is the issue with this research is it wasn't very good quality they literally Mm -hmm. had 200 or so or no it was even less I have what's the numbers I'll have to have a look at the numbers but it was not a lot of women and they literally asked them hey did you feel like you had a better mood and they could have gone, yeah, felt like I did. So it was all very self-reported and they didn't have a control group in this one. This And the other thing is that what women say and what people who sell placenta pills say is that placenta consumption can replenish nutrients that the woman would have lost. And there is some research on this. So there, there's been one... A randomized controlled double blinded placebo controlled study. So if you're into hashtag science, a randomized double blind placebo controlled trial is like one of the highest quality trials you could you could do. The problem is it only had 27 women in it. So not, you know, yeah, it was it had all those beautiful words, but 27 women in the trial who ate their placenta. Then, but they also compared the, so that the aim of this trial was to have a look at maternal postpartum iron status. And they found that women who ate their placenta in pills, so again, we'll talk about how you can prepare it, but pills versus raw, there was difference in iron levels for the women who ate their placentas in pills, but a daily intake of placenta pill only provided 24% of the recommended daily iron intake for lactating women. So it's not considered a supplement. It's not like if you were iron deficient and you needed to take big doses of iron that you could use your placenta as an alternative. It's basically a, a dietary source of iron, 
but it's only part of your dietary intake. It can't make up for all of it. It's not extra. It's just like as if you'd eaten some meat. This was placebo controlled. So they gave the other women dehydrated beef capsules and found that still the placenta seemed to outperform the beef capsules. But again, if you're considering it for supplementation, the the amount is not enough in there to supplement if you're low on iron. It can just be part of your management strategy. And did they look at the mood and pain with them? This one wasn't focused on... Just iron. Just iron. That's disappointing because they had the placebo, so they could have actually looked at all the other stuff that's being reported with it. And sorry, I've just had a look at my notes again. It wasn't 27 women, it was 23, so it's even worse information. So there's that one study. And then there's a few studies asking women how they felt about it, and they felt like, yep, it gave them better energy, improved moods, reduced postnatal depression, and improved milk supply. But then there's also some women who say decrease their milk supply. So, you know, what do you what do you do about that? It's basically under research. So when people say, "Oh, what does the research say?" It's under researched. Again, if you go to the resource folder, there's a lot of research papers, some really really good ones that I think you should read if you are a clinician or actually now I'm speaking to the people who actually make these placenta products because there's a whole industry behind using the placenta to make products and selling them back to women. Uh, I would encourage you to read every single paper in the resource folder that I provided. It can be super helpful. There's a lot of issues around the fact that placenta encapsulation and preparation, it's not regulated. Anyone can do it. You could turn around tomorrow and say, I am a placenta encapsulator or placenta clinician or whatever you want, a technician, placenta technician. And you can do anything with that placenta and sell it back to women and make all kinds of claims and no one's going to come after you because it's not regulated. So I've seen people making placenta creams and making claims about what this stuff's going to do. So there's only really a little bit of research around the use of placenta for medicine in um, traditional Chinese medicine. They do have a placenta powder that they use as part of traditional Chinese medicine, but it's not really specific to like, this is your placenta, so we're going to give it back to you. Yeah, so it would depend. But you can buy like placental creams, right? Like I've been to the chemist and, and I've been at airports and I've seen that. Yeah, but there's no evidence for what a placental cream would do for you. So basically there's this placenta preparations have been commodified with very, very little positive research about what the impact is going to be. So I do think a lot of the claims are overstated, that it's under-researched and that, you know, we're potentially making money off a whole bunch of lies. Um, I'll be again. I'm not saying this is... I'm not I'm not laughing at current situation, future situation. I'm laughing at your your future inbox. <laughs> oh no. I mean, look, the, the a lot of people that listen to us are very passionate about this. Totally. What and I again, want- it's about giving the information. Do you, if it feels good for you, go ahead and do it. If it doesn't feel good for you, don't do it. Where what we bring is the evidence and what Mel is saying is that there isn't much and what there is of it isn't very good. So we can't actually, that's all we can bring you is what there is. 
Well, that's what I'm saying is you can't say to women, if you have your placenta, that you're at less risk of postnatal depression, or this can be used as an iron supplement, or this is going to increase your milk supply. We can't say that with any certainty. There is some anecdotal evidence. There's some small studies, but really, you know, we haven't yet really researched it enough that we could feel confident. And there are some risks. So yeah, we talk a lot about the benefits, you know, maybe this will increase your energy, all these kinds of things. But in one of the studies that they found that 4% of women reported experiencing headaches. There's some research about the accumulation of heavy metals and environmental toxins in the placenta. And so that could be reintroduced to the woman's body. We know that things like tobacco smoke, secondhand smoke, some drugs and medication can accumulate in the placenta and alcohol during pregnancy. And so if that's part of your pregnancy journey, then it's not recommended that you consume your placenta. And considering that it's made in an unregulated industry, and this is potentially, you know, for lack of a better word, a meat product, then women do put themselves at risk of things like food contamination and food poisoning if it hasn't been prepared properly. So there have been reports of of women having infections based on the on consuming the placenta. There was one, and if you read the papers in the the resource folder, you'll read the case that keeps coming up in a lot of the research papers of a baby who died of a GBS infection. And when they tried to source back where the baby had gotten the GBS infection, in their investigation discovered that the mother had been consuming the placenta. They tested the placenta and isolated the same GBS strain in the placenta as they isolated in the baby. There was a big leap and some people are saying, well, because she ate the placenta, the baby got a GBS infection. But I can't see how that would have happened because they did test her breast milk and there was no GBS in the breast milk. And so, you know, quite possibly if the baby shared time with the placenta, which it did, of course, you're going to isolate the same GBS infection. But you'll see in some of the papers this case being brought up and it's been brought to the attention of some authorities because of this particular single case. So, I think we don't fully know all of the amazing benefits that you could get from from eating your placenta, and we don't fully know all of the potential risks of eating your placenta. So while it's fine for you to do it if you feel like you want to, uh, if people are making big claims about what it's going to do, then they're unfounded claims. By scientific uh, research. By scientific research, correct. So if you're feeling triggered by this today, I would really recommend, and you're really, if you're really passionate about this, go and do some research and do a really, really, really big, awesome study that we can then use and update mm. this podcast episode on. I mean, but only research can really enable us to go, well, was that because of the placental pill that you consumed or was it because of the fact you also had a physiological birth and a home birth this time yeah. and, a, and continuous care, for example? And I, I I probably sound like I'm poo-pooing the whole thing, but I'm just... Oh, baby, you do sound like you're poo-pooing the I'm whole not, thing. I'm let, me it around. <laughs> well, let me tell you, though, I consumed my first my baby, my first baby's placenta. 
Ah, I was not expecting that. I don't think the listeners were either. I was not expecting that at all. The second placenta I also had encapsulated with the intention of consuming that one too. And so I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing this from, you know, I'm a home. That's hilarious because I didn't do that with mine because I was like, if I've done optimal cord clamping, then all the nutrients that it, it are needed to come out of that placenta have gone to my baby and therefore I don't need any nutrients from it. Uh, so that's I really almost, interesting. I would not have expected the podcast to turn that way. What I'm trying to do, I'm trying to give everybody as much information as I found. Yeah. I'm not poo-pooing up. beautiful job. And, and I just want to say I ate my, my first child's placenta and I had the second one encapsulated but didn't feel like I needed to eat it. And we could talk through that as well. But all I'm saying is, is we, you know, people have this confirmation bias. They, they think, oh yeah, I'm going to eat my placenta and I've made that decision. So I'm not going to look into any of it. And any of the research that says I shouldn't eat my placenta is all wrong because I'm planning on doing that. But my favorite thing to do is, like I said to, I said to be earlier, I love to like be on the opposite debate team to what I actually believe, because then you sit there and you objectively look at the research and go, even though I would support any woman who wants to eat her placenta and have done in the past myself, I want to look at this objectively and not allow my confirmation bias to impact upon how I read these papers. So I'm just like the last episode, the vitamin K episode, I won't tell you what I did for my children, but you know, I'm just trying to present present it objectively and I just get really annoyed by people, just like even obstetrician says, oh, no, there's no risk to cesarean sections. It's heaps safer than a vaginal birth. That's wrong information, just like it's wrong information to tell a woman that if she eats her placenta, that she's not going to get postnatal depression and that her milk supply is going to be amazing and she's going to feel incredible and she's going to get enough iron to replace what she's lost. Mm. All of that's not substantiated. So we just need to be careful about how we deliver the information. Language we use around it. And, you know, in about that kind of increasing the milk supply, that the same randomised controlled trial that I spoke about also published some more findings in 2019. And they wanted to answer the question of does placent- eating your placenta increase your milk supply? And so they tested women's blood levels of prolactin which is the hormone that governs milk supply. And they found that there was no increase in the levels of prolactin compared to women who didn't consume their placenta and no difference to the weight gain of the babies, which could be a marker of maternal milk supply. But, you know, you can never really measure how much milk every woman is making. But that's some... how much they wouldn't make. Exactly. Because everyone is different. And, you know, some people make huge amounts and it's fine. And other people make small amounts and it's fine. Like it's not, it's not about certain yeah. amount. Again, please, if you encapsulate your placenta or you want to eat it, go and have a look at the research papers that I've put in the folder. But there are lots of ways it can be prepared. It can be dried and powdered and put in capsules. Some women eat it raw in smoothies or they freeze it raw in small pieces to be used later. Some will cook it up like, anything and make curries and bolognaises and all kinds of things. We just also have to think about if you are encapsulating, do you know the medical history of the person whose placenta you're encapsulating? Because there are bloodborne diseases that are communicable 
and need certain temperatures to be killed at at certain amounts of time, like salmonella takes ages and things like HIV and hepatitis and all these things that if you're handling placentas and you've not had any training, to just be aware of the potential risk that you might be at yourself of being exposed to some blood communicable blood diseases and then also of how you're keeping your instruments and tools, where you're washing them, all those kinds of things that you're not putting your family or future women at risk by potential contamination. So because it's unregulated, even women can't truly know the hygiene of where their placenta was prepared and how well it was prepared and if it's completely processed in a way that's not going to put them at risk of things like, you know, food poisoning. So as I said, don't want to poo-poo on this whole thing, just giving you info and knowing that, yes, I was once a proponent of eating placentas. I ate my own. I used to prepare them for women. I don't any longer, mostly because of time, but also because there's a significant lack of research. And for women who don't want to pay to have their placenta encapsulated or dried, there's lots of things that you can do for your placenta in order to consume it without having to pay the two to $400 that it costs for somebody else to do that. So it's not out of reach for the, the basic person. And there are little instructions in some of the papers that are in the, in the resource folder as to how you can placate, prepare your placenta for consumption if you don't want somebody else to do it. I think that's all I've got to say about placentophagy. Did you have anything to add, B? No. <laughs> it's been, been nice doing this podcast and... <laughs> I feel like we've potentially upset a large proportion of the listenership with the candid nature of this topic. We've been, I think, as always, if you've got feelings, get curious, ask why they're there, why you're feeling triggered and uh, own it. Yeah, and just, yeah, if you want to send me an angry message, I accept, no, was- I accept all messages, but please angry be polite. Be polite. I'm happy to engage in discussion. If you've got more information than what I've found, I'm more than happy to read it, review it, share it, and administer apologies, all the things. So, you know, absolutely. There's going to be doulas and placenta encapsulators that are just throwing things at the phone at the moment that they're listening to it from or computer or whatever and going, oh, how dare she? Yeah, just all no, I think people and you've done it. Yeah, it's about being a, we have to be objective here. That's our, that was we don't have to be. We've chosen to be because we wanted to make this an evidence-based podcast. So yeah. it's not an opinion-based podcast, it's an evidence-based podcast. And I am so willing to sit in the energy that people are happy to accept it. All right. And we'll be waiting to hear from the Kardashians. We'll let you know about our partnership slash collaboration that might be occurring. No, that is not. I'm not doing that. I am not. Well, you no. can do that. You've got a lot of stuff on, babe. Oh, <laughs> Sorry, I'm a bit busy. I am. I am busy. I don't care. Like, no, I'm booked out. At the moment, we don't align. I'm- on that note, that's a wrap on this on this episode. Crazy, crazy episode. Of the Great Birth Rebellion. And we will see you next week. Thanks for listening with us today. 
Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favourite podcast platform and join our mailing list at melaniethemidwife.com. Mel sends out weekly emails with access to all the evidence we use in this podcast. You can find out more about Mel at melaniethemidwife.com and find out more about me, B, at coreandfloor.com.au. We can't wait to bring you next week's episode of The Great Birth Rebellion. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> All right.